Welcome to season two of I'm Just Old Darling. Hello, kia ora, mylo. My name's Michelle, I'm the host of I'm Just Older Darling, a series of conversations with members of our communities who are sometimes referred to as elders, their stories, their words. This is episode one of season two of I'm Just Older Darling. This is going to reach a bit further than the shores of Just Aotearoa. This first conversation was with Paula Harrowing, heralding from the UK. I'm Paula Harrowing. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. How do you feel? being an elder and what's that to you i suppose it's quite i find it quite hard actually thinking of myself as an elder um i think the only indication really is that obviously my body's falling to bits so yeah my head is very much um as it always has been in my sort of teens 20s who knows where it sits but um definitely not where it should do in terms of my peers and i think for me the only indication really that I feel older is, yeah, I'm not as mobile as I used to be and um, not as mobile, but I do feel wiser, I suppose, thinking about there's certainly things that I wouldn't do now that I certainly did in my younger years. Uh, who were the elders of your day? See, that's that's an interesting one, I think, for me, because I came out um, kind of like, when I was 25, although I'd already been in the relationship for 10 years. So kind of my elders were actually not really my elders, they were my peers. And I think at that point, I don't think I really knew that many older queers. Um, and I don't know why that is. I think primarily because I worked mainstream in, in sort of straight land, didn't really step into a queer life, definitely not to work until much later for me. Um, so the people who surrounded me were all were all straight. Um, but in terms of like historically, I think, you know, just all, all the old uh, lesbians, writers, I think for me was, um, they had the main influence on me because when I came out, literally I absorbed everything written that, related to anything that was lesbian. What impact do you think you may have had or having in your community in various roles over the years? That is a huge question. Um, I started in, I started the Clubland uh, years were in the sort of early 90s. It was a time where women didn't really have the same access to venues as their male gay male counterparts. Uh, there was very little representation of people of colour. And I think at that time for me, in terms of clubland, I wanted to create something that reflected my, my, my friendship group. And my friendship group are a collection of people who are very mixed racially. Um, amongst that also uh, are trans people. Um, so for me, going predominantly white uh, white gay clubs like Heaven, uh, the only way I would do that is if we were given carte blanche in terms of promotion, in terms of the DJs we chose and the images we created. And it was problematic. And we also had the VIP room. And it was very problematic at the time. Gay men hated handing over their space to a bunch of lezers. And it became at times quite um, fractious. And we had to have two door bitches on either side of the entrances because gay men literally just wanted to push their way in. So I think in terms of making a difference, 
I hope that that uh, at least addressed some of the issues within our community. And then obviously in, in terms of uh, HIV over the years, in the late 80s, early 90s, a lot of my gay and male friends were being diagnosed HIV positive. And although I knew HIV and AIDS affected everyone, the reality really didn't sink in until I read an article um, in Vanity Fair, very frivolous, um, on Tina Chow. And she was the it girl at the time, uh, married to Mr. Chow, um, beautiful model, a mum, and she had become HIV positive by having an affair and she'd only ever had two sexual partners. So for me, that sudden realisation that everything that society tells you about HIV actually is a pile of shit. And I think a lot of it is based on prejudice and judgment. Um, and I met a woman who uh, was working at a generic HIV organisation and she worked with positive women and their children. So we started an organisation and it, it's still running. Um, it was supported by Anita and Gordon Roddick of The Body Shop. And for me, probably my most... Uh, inclusive and exciting years were the years that I was involved within um, Body and Soul. Um, we had over two and a half thousand people, we had teenagers, we had children, both living with HIV and AIDS and affected. And for me, my passion was listening and being amongst a lot of those young uh, teenagers and kids living with HIV. Their view on life and how they put everything into perspective was far more than adults who came basically full of their own prejudices and baggage. So I'd like to think I've left a legacy as such. Um, I think I've always, I've never really thought of myself as political in that context. But I think for me, if it doesn't feel right, and I feel um, it's not equal, then yes, I will, I will hopefully try and change that. Um, and maybe that is political. I don't know, maybe that's that is. Um, what does what does community look like for you? That is one I struggle with. I think the LGBT plus community has changed quite a lot in so many different ways. Um, not for the better, I don't think. Um, I think for me, I, I struggle with the fact that there is still so much uh, racism, uh, misogyny, biphobia, transphobia. And I think, again, this whole thing around um, finding space and that it is a constant battle. And I think I'm constantly asked by especially people who are in their 20s and 30s, kind of like, you know, what was queer life like for me at that age? And I think we were far more united. I met my first trans man in my early 20s. Um, I met numerous trans women uh, over the years from that. Um, everyone was included. Nobody was really pushed to the side. Um, issues around race have always been a problem. Um, but for me, I think my group of friends would not tolerate that anything, wouldn't tolerate any prejudice or bigotry. So our little bubble was strong and contained. And now as we go into 2021, those battles, and they are fierce battles, are, I think, fragmenting us more than ever. And if we 
battle each other and are hostile to each other, then society can do that to us as well because we're doing it to each other. And for me, that is like we need to change that because we need to stand united at the end of the day. You know, if I go out into mainstream life and I get queer bashed, I need it will be around not necessarily how I identify, but the fact I'm not straight. And we need to be united in this because life, you know, life is is hard at the moment. Um, I've been doing some work with um, a young non-binary uh, person who must be in their 20s, I think, if just that. And we were collating information on um, people who you should avoid in terms of people who are bigoted, whether they be racist or transphobic. And they wrote the induction to the list of people that they had put down. And it actually kind of broke my heart because literally, it listed every negative hostile experience that people are due to each other and literally it was so clear that they had and probably are still experiencing that not only out in their kind of social networks but also at home you know and I you know we have moved forward on so many different ways but this shouldn't be a battle now you know I just it does really make my heart sore that we are still in this situation you know that we are now and also just I think in the you know literally me coming out in my 20s I don't know if it was that hard because for me it was relatively easy um what advice would you give the 30 year old version of you okay that is a hard one I think for me in my 30s um I thought I was quite sorted, I suppose. I think there's an element of arrogance amongst all of that. Um, I think for me, I've been really lucky that I have actually had the huge desire to learn across generations, even in my 30s, 40s, wherever I am now. I get a huge thrill in being told life by somebody in their teens, as I do as somebody in, in their sort of late 70s. So I think, again, I think maybe in my 30s, I would just hopefully say to be a bit more open. Um, okay, there's a strange assumption for me that I thought before I started work fairly recently in this last two years within the LGBT community that life was a lot easier. There are certain things that, yes, there are, you know, uh, holding hands in public. There's an element of that visibility that is far more so now than before. Um, also, how people identify uh and again, that kind of, we are the same, but we now have new words for that. So it has all moved forward, but it also has created huge division. And again, for me, you know, this is really maintained by cisgendered white gay men. And, you know, whereas call outs uh, in terms of, say, issues around transphobia, where lesbians are used as uh, an example of that. In fact, actually, I would challenge that because the majority of lesbians I know are not transphobic, but cisgendered gay white men are, and not just around trans women, but trans men. Uh, the huge battle um, for trans men to be accepted mainstream within the LGBT community and to be visible is a huge struggle. So, yeah, I don't I don't know, really. It um, makes me mad. I think for me, that whole view of the lesbian scene with it being very tribal 
magic you know visualizing yeah. once a month you'd walk in and there'd be sort of all the leather dykes there'd be all the butch dykes there'll be the lipstick lesbians and it was just literally everybody for the first time would be under one roof so yeah. i found it exhilarating you know that kind of you'd walk in there'd be like two thousand women the queues would be massive and busy you know <laughs> just that it was just like oh my god so yeah i think we've lost that yeah. uh you know and i don't think it's because of how we identify i just think again maybe social media has kind of basically removed that part of our culture which i think is a huge shame because i learned so much from people and also dialogue that we had um, with each other um mm. which again you know is very different uh, through social media it's yeah I, you know we created our own family and i think it's you know for me a lot of a lot of the people that i'm closest to have been say people who used to come in and out of queer nation mm. you know for me there was something really special there how do you think covid has impacted your community well covid i think has had a huge impact on uh the older members of our lgbt community a lot of our uh, queer members don't have family as such around them and in terms of hiv and aids has removed a large part of their social network so covid literally has pushed a lot of them back into total isolation and then also alongside that uh, there are mental health issues and with the mental health issues there's a possibility of say uh, same-sex couples going into care homes which has proved to be absolutely a minefield um, a lot of care homes are not uh, able to support same-sex couples in so much as um, not being able to tackle perhaps the other mental care home around homophobia um, and I think what we found during COVID is the people that who have been admitted into care homes have gone back into the closet. So in terms of the older generation, definitely there's been a very visible uh, struggle to maintain some sort of day-to-day uh, -day normality. And also in terms of the younger generation actually seeing that huge impact on all our you know community performers whether they be drag kings drag queens any performer within the lgbt network have really suffered uh, the effects of the economics of covid no provision has been made to support the artist in that period of time and you know pushing again some people into sex work to finance their day-to-day -day living so it has been a struggle and i think again for a lot of families um they haven't necessarily welcomed the return of their their children home because of the uh issues around perhaps their gender how they identify and it has caused uh, a lot of really serious mental health issues for for those people so yeah covid has a, i think a huge impact and i think it would be a long while before we see that actually being addressed and unravel because i think it does and will have uh, an effect on us for quite a few months after what i'd like to say to others we need to be united we need to support each and every one of us within the queer community because the time is now, you know, 2021, and we are all battling still 
whether it's uh, issues around gender, race. And if we don't do it now, when will we do it? You know, I had thought that things had moved on over 20 years ago, and really they haven't. Uh, there are different words that are being used, but nothing sadly has changed. And we need to step up. We need to really make that difference within us, uh, cross generations, and literally look to a future that hopefully feels more united. How visible do you feel? I have never been invisible. I think from uh, day one, I've always known who I am and what I want. And I don't think there's been any part really that has been a struggle for me in terms of identifying as part of the LGBT plus community. So, yeah, I mean, I get misgendered, always have done, whether I've had long flowing blonde hair. And I think that's mainly because someone's being a complete dick. But, you know, um, yeah. So, I mean, that has never bothered me at all. Um, so, yeah, I've always been out and proud in every aspect of that. We've done it. Thank you for listening to a conversation with Paula Harrow, and I hope you enjoyed it. This was brought to you by Same Same But Black in 2021. Thank you.